with ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to this latest edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a Wednesday, September 13th edition of the show. We are at the middle of the week, heading into East Carolina and Appalachian State, still putting the finishing touches on the Pirates' loss to Marshall. They're now 0-2 on the season. We've had a lot of discussion already this week. We'll continue to have discussion. We got our normal Wednesday guest, Bobby Harwood, about to join us here in a second. First, I want to say we are live on YouTube and Facebook, also the IBX Media app. We have uh, several thousand downloads on the IBX Media app where you can stream all of our shows, the Patrick Johnson Show, Talk of the Town, as well as the Logan Zone on Friday with Steve Logan. Make sure you download that uh, right now, the IBX Media app. Search IBX Media in your app stores, and you can live stream it, listen to the podcast version, all of that. Of course, our show is podcasted on uh, you know Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can re- listen to the replays there. So we got you covered on every platform. If you are watching live on YouTube, Facebook, uh, shoot us a comment or a question. We'll get to it throughout the next hour. We are going early today with the live stream. Got some things uh, got to get done today uh, ahead of practice. Uh, but we are also airing live at 12 noon on 94.3 The Game for our radio show. All right. Bobby Harwood joins us. He's from the beach, and uh, he's enjoying some some much-needed downtime. Uh, he, he's brought to us by Basil's today. Check him out, Basil's Restaurant and Pizzeria, one of the best restaurants in Greenville, uh, located 1675 East Fire Tower Road, Greenville, North Carolina. I love the hibachi skewer salad. I eat there quite often. It's right by my house. So, uh, But, Bobby, it's, uh, it's tough times in Pirate Nation, man. I don't know how much you've been on social media the last few days but people uh people are kind of losing their minds already it's getting out of control that's for sure i uh like you said i'm at the beach so i really didn't get to watch the game saturday but uh, tracking on social media throughout the week and and reading your message boards on hoist the colors it's it's gotten ugly quick uh one of my favorite things to do after a loss is get on the message board and see how many new threads get created uh asking for coaching searches and that sort of thing and of course uh, that happened after this week. So uh, I think it uh, hopefully will be a good week to uh, take a deep breath and regather ourselves here heading into App State. Yeah, you hope so. And, and you know, we'll get into maybe some of the similarities from the the 2021 season when the Pirates were 0-2 and looking to uh, to turn that around. And, uh, you know, obviously got a big win at Marshall. So there, there's some similarities there, but also some stark differences, which I want to talk about. But, uh, Bobby, you did go back and you, you rewatched the game. We were texting last night. Uh, unfortunately, you did that. And, and really today's show, I do want to focus on a lot about the offense and what ECU can try and correct to fix it. Because right now it's just – no, nothing's really working outside of the quarterback run game we saw against Marshall, which which is something to build off of. I don't want to say that that's you know not anything, but the traditional passing game is is statistically one of the worst in college football through two games, and it looks like one of the worst. Uh, the running game with the backs has been non-existent. The blocking is struggling. The receivers have struggled to catch passes. So before we dive into what ECU can correct, what's your assessment of this offense right now? If there if there is one. 
Well, I think I used this terminology to you last night when we were texting. It's a bowling ball of butcher knives right now. I mean, that's the, the best way to sum it up. Quarterbacks are inaccurate throwing the ball. They're one read and go right now. Uh, running backs are struggling to find running lanes. There's no blocking or protection up front, both pass pro and running the football. And receivers aren't getting open, nor are they catching the ball uh, when the, 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 the throw is on target. So just uh, essentially the worst-case scenario that you could have for an offense right now is happening here at East Carolina. Yeah, I mean, we could spend the next hour diving into each of the issues. And, and you know, we'll start with quarterback because that's that's where everybody wants to start. It's the most visible position of any college football program. And, you know, Mason Garcia, we, we knew there would be growing pains. Uh, we, we did hear a lot about the two-quarterback system going into the Marshall game. And then once we got to the, the Marshall game, it, it seemed pretty apparent, Bobby. This was my take at least. They wanted Mason to go out kind of take the job, run with it, and uh, I wrote after the game, uh, you know, I don't, I can't get this out of the coach's heads, but at least from my perspective, it feels like maybe he's running out of time a little bit to try and establish himself as that true number one, because at some point you got to win the games, you can't just worry about development. So what's your take on how he played and kind of how the staff handled the uh, quarterback situation and the loss to Marshall? I'm not surprised that Mason went out there and started the game, and uh, like I said, I had I didn't watch it live. So as I was kind of following on, I was like, why did they not put Alex in sooner? Um, but then after re-watching the game last night, I, I have an idea of why they didn't, because they weren't out of the game until the very end. I know they weren't moving the ball effectively through the air, but they were still running the ball. I mean, they were up 13-10 to 10 in Marshall's zone going into score with like 10 or 11 minutes left in the football game, and they still lost that game by what? I'm going to lose my Three math scores. here. 18 points? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I get why they never brought Alex in until that late interception. Uh, I would be shocked if they not do not go to Alex sooner in this next game or if they don't at least start him. I don't know if they're going to start him or not. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if they don't go to Alex a little bit sooner because – We've talked about it. Mason right now just seems so uncomfortable passing the football. I mean, even just watching it when he has time and is able to deliver a throw, I mean, his mechanics are off. He's stepping away from the ball. He's short-arming things. Just nothing really looks right. I don't know if it's confidence, afraid of getting hit, unsure of if he's going to the correct guy, uh, but things just don't look right right there. He does not look comfortable uh, back in the pocket. I, w- I want to get your take on something because I thought early in the game Mason did look a little more settled definitely than week one, and I thought he threw some accurate balls, but for whatever reason, either plays were, weren't made, uh, tightly contested plays weren't made. And then, you know, you start the game with two false starts offensively. I mean, that's just if – try- if you're trying to get into an offensive rhythm and establish some confidence, you can't be false starting twice and go three and out in your first series. They actually picked up some yardage there, but when you got to make up 20 yards instead of 10, that's going to create issues. So um, I felt personally watching the game that Mason was pretty good in the first half, but then like some early struggles around him, whether it be protection, lack of plays made, lack of running game, I thought that kind of got to him and in the second half – uh, or in the second quarter at times, his throws became a little more erratic. And, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, ECU, according to, to Pro Football Focus, has already dropped five passes through 
uh, two games, and that's just like flat-out drops. That's not even including the contested catches that have not been made. They've only made three out of ten contested catches, according to PFF as well, which don't count as drops. So, you know, you're talking about 12 balls there that could be caught that are not caught. So it just feels like just the, the whole operation right now is not helping him out, and maybe that's affecting his confidence as well. What's your, your take on that? I think that's accurate to say. I think um, over time when you're not moving the ball offensively throughout, you know, really almost seven quarters going into that fourth quarter, you get frustrated. You get frustrated as an offense. You get frustrated with the pressure of the quarterback position. Uh, you feel like everything is on your shoulders. I think that's causing him maybe to grip the ball a little too tight and try to rip it, which is why you're seeing those throws at uh, receiver's feet. Uh, also, I'm curious about the communication. I mean, going in there – uh, when it was 10 to 10 in that third quarter, they were going in to score, and I think they were around the 10 or 12 yard line, 15 yard line, something along there. And that third down play, it just, I had to rewind it three or four times. You have the offensive line blocking for a screen pass, you have receivers running routes, and then you have the running back staying in for protection. So if they're running a screen, who's going out for the screen pass? If <laughs> there's just so three different position groups were doing three different things and it didn't look right. So is there a miscommunication there from the play call getting into the huddle? Is Mason not communicating things correctly to the team? Uh, there's just a lot going on there. It's hard to exactly pinpoint, but I think Mason is getting to the point where he's feeling that pressure and it's affecting him. Yeah, I thought the it really got to him late when he tried to force the throw. And the uh, the interception after the, uh, the 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 long Marshall run that was by far his worst throw of the season. And he just you know I, I don't know if he was just like screw it I need to try to complete a pass and just made an awful throw. And then that's obviously when he got pulled and the game got out of hand. Um, you know I thought Mike Houston made an interesting point on our coaches so Monday at tiebreakers. He said. You know, little things right now offensively are, are really adding up. Like the false start at the beginning of the game, uh, Marshall was was uh, you know making some verbal communication. I don't know if they were trying to simulate the snap count or what, but that caused a lot of issues. And then he said the second false start was just guys not being able to see the signal on the sideline and didn't get, I guess, the right snap count. So like, you know, you got new offensive coaches, new offensive personnel, like little stuff like that is not necessarily on the quarterback. It's just got to be cleaned up, though. Here we're going into to game three. Aaron on YouTube's got a question. He says, do you think we are still running a two-quarterback system? Seems like we are set on Mason from what coaches said. At this point, what does it hurt to just say he is our guy? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair question. I I think they want Mason to be the guy. Um as uh as the authorities are coming to arrest Bobby for talking bad about the pirates um but uh i i don't know i mean i think it's i think they want Mason to be the guy but i think they also realized after last week that you still need Alex and coach Houston also said they're going to run Mason if he's the number 1 because that's his strength right now and so you need a backup to be ready to go is it a true two quarterback system to where they're rotating guys in and out Maybe it eventually becomes that, but I still feel like at least my hunch is, and I don't have any inside intel, I still feel like they want to try to get Mason to the point he's the true number one. But uh, it's got to look better than it did this past weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) 
at least throwing the football. Everything in the run game, at least what Mason Garcia is doing there, is fine. Uh, he's he's a strong individual. He's a big dude. He's breaking tackles. He had a really nice long run um, against Marshall last week. Uh, I think one thing that will help him, and and again, this is not all on Mason Garcia. It's a collective unit. One thing that will help him, I think, if they can open up the running back run game, if they can create some holes up front. I'm, I know Marshall's D-line was pretty strong, and that, that was kind of their, their strength of their team, really. Um, hopefully we can establish a run against App State. I know they struggled last week against Carolina stopping the run, but I think that will help him because that's a part of the game you can then rely on as a quarterback. You don't have to feel like everything is – you're responsible for everything. You're not responsible for picking up all the rushing yards. You're not responsible for picking up all the passing yards. If we can create some lanes up front, that's really where it starts. Allow the running backs to get some space. Allow that clock to eat a little bit, too, so we're not having so many short drives. Yeah, last Saturday reminded me of 2018 Holt Naylor's, like he was the entire offense. No real running game from the backs. Pass pro, no real receivers making plays, and it was just Holt Naylor's running and accounting for all the yardage. Um, so, you know, it, it's good to have the quarterback run game, and that's a definite weapon and a building block. So, uh, you know, we'll get into App State here in a little bit, but you don't want to just sustain your entire offense on that, but at least now App looks at the film. They have to prepare heavily for the designed quarterback run game with Mason, and they've struggled stopping the run. So hopefully that is something ECU can build off as an offense. All right, and the other big thing at this point, Bobby, is uh, offensively, there's just no, like, go-to guy. Like, I mean, if it's – I don't even know if – if I don't know who ECU's leading target would be if they could, like, drop a game plan and say, hey, we're going to get this guy the ball. Uh, we're going to get this, this running back involved in the passing game. I guess – Maybe Javius Bond could be that guy, uh, but we, we, you know, we haven't seen too much of an effort to get him the ball in space in the passing game. As a, and he's a freshman running back, you know, we've seen Jalen Johnson and Shai Hatfield targeted a lot, but haven't seen a ton of production there. Uh, you know, Jalen Johnson has 17 targets, which leads the team through two games. Josiah Hatfield has 12. Nobody else has more than five. So. They're trying to make those two guys the, the number ones, uh, but they've had issues making those big catches so well, do, do you feel like one of those guys can emerge or, or kind of what's your take on, on uh on who else can emerge as the go-to guy and how important is that to establishing some sort of offensive identity i think it's really important from a, a standpoint of giving mason garcia confidence or whoever the quarterback is confidence that they have a guy that they know they can go to in, in, in third down situations, in must-have situations. You have that guy that you can rely on that you know is going to catch the football. You put it in the vicinity. Going into the year, I thought it would be Jalen Johnson. I still think it will be Jalen Johnson. He's the most experienced player. He's had a, a little bad case of the drops here recently. Um and I think that's weighing on him a little bit mentally. But if he can get in a good groove, I mean, he had some issues with drops last year, and then he regathered himself. He settled down a little bit and finished the year strong. So I'm hoping he can still be that guy. Um, I know Josiah uh, Hatfield offers a lot speed-wise and as an electric weapon, uh, but I don't know how much I would rely on him in, in the past game. I, it's kind of always been just waiting for that next piece to fall with him in the sense of waiting for him to have that big breakout game, having consistency in the offense. So uh, 
Patterson is really the guy that I look for. Uh, uh, Jahari Patterson, the transfer from Marshall. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he can kind of step up. That's my guy. I know I hung my hat on him early in the, in our, uh, preseason show, uh, as a breakout receiver, uh, option. So I, I'm hoping he can step up here and, and take advantage of some reps, uh, in these next few weeks. All right. He's Bobby Harward. I'm Stephen Igo. Let's take a break. Our first break of the show. We'll come back. We'll get into how ECU can fix this offense going forward, going into the App State game specifically. How do you get, some semblance of offensive consistency. We'll also touch on the defense and preview app, and then we'll get into some uh, college football scores around the country, maybe look at the American, maybe talk some NFL as well as the Broncos and Panthers start 0-1, but the Commanders got a big win for uh, for Bobby. The Commanders and Broncos face off in Week 2, so maybe we'll touch on that as well. All right, we'll be right back. Hoist the colors, 94-3 the game. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the show. Wednesday, September 13th edition of Hoist the Colors. We're streaming early today. If you're on our live feed, YouTube, Facebook, drop a comment, question. We'll get to it. Bobby Harward joins us from the beach. Nice guy to join us during his vacation. So I uh, appreciate it again, Bobby. Uh, Jay on, on uh, Facebook points out ECU has dropped a lot of catchable balls. Through two games, yeah, we ran over the numbers earlier. Five flat-out drops and uh, only three contested catches total through two games, according to Pro Football Focus. ECU ranks dead last in the country in receiving grade. That is, running backs, receivers, tight ends in terms of catching the football and getting open. So that is uh, that's a big part of the issue. Um, let's talk briefly going into this app game about how ECU can fix the offense. We've kind of diagnosed the problems, which are uh, many at this point. Uh, App has given up six yards a carry. Part of that is due to the fact they played UNC and maybe focused on stopping the pass, but they are certainly vulnerable vulnerable on the ground. Uh, Gardner-Webb ran the football on them as well. Um, so ECU has announced a starter, Bobby, for this weekend. I asked Coach Houston at yesterday's press conference basically – Hey, we saw Mason come in, start the game, play the majority of the game. Can we assume that's the plan going forward, or is this still week to week? And he kind of said he basically didn't answer the question, which I didn't expect him to because you won't have to prepare for both. But uh, he kind of said every week's a competition. I don't, you know, I think at this point you kind of know who your starting quarterback is going to the game. I'm assuming Mason is starting. Maybe I'll be surprised if they start Mason. What can this offense do against App, which has struggled against the run, to try and uh, to try and get going? I think you're going to have to do some RPO stuff. I know that was my answer last week as well. And maybe not. Maybe RPO is not the answer. Maybe just traditional zone read. Let Mason read one guy, hand the ball off, or pull it and run himself. I think we'll see a, maybe a little bit more than we've seen so far in the in the design QB run. Uh, uh, game. I think we've seen that quite a bit, but I think we'll see it even more here going forward. Um, Passing-wise, I think they'll probably – honestly, it makes sense the way he's struggling. I know they don't like to – they like to utilize the tight end, the heavier personnel packages now with Mason, but I think it could really benefit him spreading receivers out, letting him get a pre-snap read and have an idea of who he's going for between uh, before the snap rather than having to diagnose a coverage uh, and process things as, as receivers are running out and the play is uh, 
the play is functioning. We haven't seen a ton of empty backfield uh, through two games, and usually they, you know, they you would know better now. They say that it's easier for a quarterback to kind of read what he's going to get from an empty backfield. Obviously, you do open yourself up to more pressure that way. But if Mason is at the point where he's basically one read and go right now, don't you almost want to go empty at times and let him make easier reads or just tuck in and run? What's kind of your thoughts there? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what kind of what they did. If you look early on in Holton's career, that's what they did. They spread people out. They allowed him to get some pre-snap reads and, and have an idea of where he was going with the football. Just like Holton, Mason is a big dude as well who can run the football. So Holton, I mean, excuse me, Mason has the ability – to leave the pocket, run, and still pick up yardage. I know, uh, again, you're relying on five-man protection like you mentioned, but still, Mason has the strength and the athletic ability to break and escape the pocket and still pick up some yardage running the football if, if what he sees is not open or if the pressure's getting there a little too quickly. The other thing I, I'd be surprised if we don't see early on is maybe allowing Mason to throw a deep ball or two. Um, to give him hopefully some confidence. I know his arm strength is a thing uh, where they're not throwing, I'm not saying deep crossing routes, but more so deep fade balls, allowing Josiah Hatfield to go out and get it, uh, allowing Jalen Johnson to maybe to go run or under the football. So I think you'll either see a lot of fades or you'll see a lot of slants, quick hitches, kind of quick game passing schemes. I think they're going to stay away from any of those medium to deep developing uh, route combinations. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's really been a surprise for me at the the lack of go routes down the sideline that we've seen Mason throw through uh, two games. He has attempted one throw over 20 yards, none last week. Alex Flynn has attempted five in his limited action, or it's either four or five, either way. We saw the throw to Josiah Hatfield immediately upon entering. So we've heard so much about Mason, and I've seen it in practice. He's got the, the cannon, let it loose. And I don't know if it's just the the play calling, him not wanting to take the shot or what. But, you know, I, I'm thinking, Bobby, if I'm app and I'm coming into this game, I mean, you're just loading the box and making ECU prove they can pass the ball, especially with their running uh, struggle, stopping the run defensively. Until ECU hits – you know, two or three throws in a row, I I don't expect App to really honor the pass at this point. Absolutely. You're going to see, you know, seven, eight-man boxes against App. It, App knows they're, where they're, you know, susceptible in the run game, so they're going to try to prevent that. They've seen the film. They've seen ECU hasn't done a great job of executing offensively. So they're going to load the box. And also, when ECU does drop back to pass, Right now, until the receivers show otherwise, why not play man-to-man coverage and send some blitzes at Mason Garcia and wreak havoc on him, try to make him all kind of discombobulated? So, you know, that's what I think we'll see from App State. I'd be very shocked if they just rush forward, drop back uh, seven. That'd be, that'd be shocking. I think you're going to see a loaded box. I think you're going to see a lot of man-to-man coverage on the outside until ECU shows that they can beat you. Yeah, they got to prove they can do it. We talked earlier about the need to get the – the running back run game going, and that sounds simple, but, uh, you know, you gotta block, and if they're, they have more guys in the box and you can block, it's gonna be tough to do that. That's why you kinda go to the quarterback run game. You get that extra blocker, get a hat on a hat. So I think we'll continue to see a lot more Mason Garcia run game if he's the guy. Um, Thomas says if they want Mason to be the guy, this coaching staff has to put him in situations that make him feel comfortable. He chimes in on YouTube with that. We, you know, we're kind of hitting on that now. 
All right. If it's Mason getting the start, or if it's Alex Flynn getting the start, uh, you know, obviously that kind of throws this discussion out the window. But if Mason gets the start, how much shorter is the leash this week? Because, like you said, I think a lot of it had to do with the point, <coughs> the the score in the game. ECU basically was tied or led, you know, the majority of that game from the second quarter on. So, like, there really was no reason to to pull Mason if you're trying to give him the guy or give him the opportunity to be the guy and go win the game, which they clearly were trying to do. So is it score dictated or is it more how the offense looks uh, if you're the coach, Bobby? Honestly, it's probably a combination of both. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, if the offense comes out and looks stacked, I think you, if you're going Mason Garcia, you at least give him one quarter. Allow, allow him to get settled. Allow him to get into the flow of the game. Give him one quarter of football. If he comes out and they're playing uninspired offensive football, they're not really moving it. And even if it's a close matchup, you know, the score is close, which hopefully in the first quarter it still is. I think you you do put Alex Flynn in for a series or two. See if he can go down and score and move the football. See if he can ignite the offense a little bit and then in, in, in that process ignite the team as well, hype up the defense because what we saw last week at the end of the Marshall game, kind of the defense played uninspired football because it wears on you. You're making so many great plays. You're playing well defensively, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's the score just stays the same because the offense cannot move the football. They cannot put the ball in the end zone. So you're kind of just like, man, we're busting our tails here, and we're not seeing any reward from it. So. Um, I, I think at least give Mason Garcia a full quarter of football. Um, if they're moving the ball, maybe, and, and not putting points on the board, but they're still at least sustaining drives, then I do carry that over to the second quarter. But I think, in my opinion, the, the lease should be a little bit shorter. Uh, a lot of it depends on game flow, though. And I think, too, App's got, at least to this point, the most vulnerable defense of the three teams ECU has played, like, we're talking a lot about the offensive struggles. We should definitely note they played at Michigan, and then they played Marshall, which was a top-20 defense last year. So, like, these are good teams, but still it shouldn't look this bad. I think we we do realize that as well. So <clears throat> there's got to be a balance. Um, on YouTube, Grant says Shane Calhoun needs to become more involved, big target for a struggling quarterback. Yeah, he's got four targets through two games, uh, and he's, you know, one of your more experienced guys. Of course, he did get the, the touchdown pass. Um, he did get a little banged up in the most recent game, but it sounds like he will uh, play this week. Um, may not quite be 100%, but is probably going to give it a go. So I, I've, I've always been a big throw-the-ball-to-Shane-Calhoun guy. He's not a burner, but he just seems to make the play more times than not. And for a team that has struggled to catch the football, Bobby, uh, I want to see Shane Calhoun get more targets. So um, I, I don't, do you agree with that or or, or – What's kind of your take on the tight end situation? Because we just don't see the ball thrown to the tight ends uh, quite a lot in this offense. I agree. You hear it all the time in the NFL, specifically, you know, following the Panthers and hearing them talk about Bryce Young and how important that is to have a reliable tight end and Hayden Hurst. I think the same thing in the college game with a young quarterback. Have a safety valve that you can rely on, a big body target. Shane Calhoun is as sure-handed as you come and probably the most sure-handed player on the team, and he's a big body. Uh, uh, open up some pass plays for him, whether that's, you know, I think quick crossing routes, 
maybe just a little do a stick combination and let him be the hitch and, and just try to put it on him quick and let him catch the ball, pick up five to six yards. He doesn't need to break a 15, 20-yard run. He just needs to catch the ball. We need to get positive yardage. So that sets up second and third down. All right, ECU App State going at it this Saturday, 3.30 kickoff ESPN+. Plus. They're expecting a crowd of 40,000. I think the capacity is around 30, so it's going to be buzzing. It'll be a great atmosphere. ECU's first trip to Boone since 1979. I've never seen a game there, so looking forward to seeing that. Bobby, you were a part of uh, a couple of uh, you know of ECU games, either as a student or as a coach. So, what do you remember about your uh, your your throwdowns with the Mountaineers? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit uh, before going on air, but uh, 2009 was my first ever ECU football game, so I was a student that year. Um, so I remember that being one of the hottest uh, hottest games that I've been to. Uh, I was scorching hot there at App State or against App State at home. Uh, and I, I remember really offensive struggles were probably pretty similar to what we're discussing right now. I know they struggled to move the ball with Pat Pinckney and, and crew. So, um, And then in 2012, that was my first year on staff uh, moving into a student assistant role. Uh, I remember Lance Ray's kickoff return uh, was a fun one. That was the Rio Johnson game. Uh, we talked about it a little bit as well. Mike Dobson led the team in rushing that game. So uh, Ventavious Cooper had only three attempts for six yards. So that's interesting to see how the careers kind of progressed over the next few years between Ventavious Cooper and Michael Dobson. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score now from 2012. Rio Johnson. 28 of 43, 242, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Shane Carden had one carry for eight yards. I, I, don't, I don't remember that, Bobby. Do you remember, like, did he come in on a trick play or what? Any idea what happened there? I think there? he came in late. I think he okay. came in a little bit late. I don't remember it exactly, but I know we won the game 35-13, so probably when it was getting a little out of hand there towards the end, he, he came in. Uh Reese Wiggins, we talked about that, led the team in receiving. So, uh, yeah. Some of these names. Hunter Furr had two carries for 16 yards. He was the hyped-up UNC transfer that, uh, you know, didn't really do a whole lot. Reggie Bullock. Uh, Justin Jones had two catches for 45 yards. Uh, Andrew Bodenheimer, Zico Pursuit. Derek Harris, the brother of Dwayne Harris. So, uh, Lamar Ivey had a pick, and then Lance Ray had the kick return. So, uh, that was a weird game, man. And ECU ended up winning, pulling away at the end, 14 on answered in the fourth quarter to win 35-13. But uh, we'll see what happens this without, weekend. Uh, oh, go ahead. Without looking at the box score, who led the team in tackling that game? Oh, wow. 2012. Uh, gosh. Uh, was it Bradley Jacobs? was not Bradley Jacobs. It was one Kyle Tudor. Kyle Tudor, wow. Now, he was he was pretty good for like a year or two, and then, you know, ended up, what, graduating and moving on. So, yeah. yeah I think he did some NASCAR stuff maybe for a little That's bit. That's right. Yeah, so that was that was just a weird team. 2012 was a strange year because how it started was much different than how it finished. As Shane Carden ended up getting that starting job really the next week at the end of the South Carolina game and running with it. Uh, and then the Pirates, of course, had a good season. All right, let's get a break in, and uh, we'll come back. We'll, we'll take a look around the country uh, in our last segment with Bobby. 
and look around college football, look around the American, maybe talk some NFL as well. So we'll be right back. Hoist the Colors, 94 through the game. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Uh, Bobby Harward with us on this Wednesday. He'll join us every Wednesday. He's brought to us by Basil's today. Check him out, East Fire Tower Road by the movie theater. Great salads, great pasta, great burgers, pizza, everything. Good, good spot for sure here in Greenville. Eat local, drink local, Basil's. Bringing us uh, Bobby Harward today. And uh, Bobby, I was <laughs> so we talked a lot of ECU, and in our final segment, I want to look around college football. I was going to preview this week's week three college football schedule, but this might be the worst schedule I've ever seen. I don't know if you've looked at the the schedule. I, I don't think there's one game that sticks out to me. It's pretty bad. It, it's a awful slate. It is an awful slate of college football, unfortunately, uh, which makes sense why I was like. Is ESPN and College Game Day just joining the prime hype train and going to see Colorado, Colorado State? Like, who, who around the country outside of the state of Colorado watches that game? But there's nothing else to go to, really. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. And so, like, I'm not – usually I'm mad when I'm on the road because I can't, uh, you know, see other college football traveling to ECU games. But I'm kind of glad this is a road game for ECU because I'm not missing anything. Um I do want to look at the American because a lot's being made about ECU struggles here locally. The conference as a whole had a pretty lackluster second week. I just want to read some of these scores. Washington, which is a really good team, no shame here. Tulsa loses at Washington 43-10. to Oklahoma really kind of dominated SMU offensively. Uh, they really shut down SMU offensively, I should say. The Mustangs were held to 11 points. They lose at Oklahoma 28 to 11. It was a really low scoring game till late. Ole Miss ends up beating Tulane 37 to 20. That was without Michael Pratt. Ole Miss ended up having to, to run away with that in the fourth quarter. Actually a really good game. Tulane looks like they're legit again. They almost beat a really good Rebels team uh, without their quarterback. But outside of that, just, you know, UTSA struggled to put away Texas State. They did win. Navy beat Wagner. Of course, we know the ECU result, but then you had Georgia Southern beat UAB by two scores. You had Ohio go to FAU and win. You had FIU beat North Texas. Uh, South Florida kind of struggled with Florida A&M. Charlotte uh, put up a fight but lost to Maryland 38-20, and then Rutgers smashed Temple 36-7. I would say that the most impressive performance of the weekend was Rice. They beat Houston in double overtime, 43-41. So, I don't know. Any big takeaways from the league thus far very early in the season, Bobby? Very underwhelming so far. Yeah. Uh, like, your, to your point, um, yeah, there's just not a lot of good football. You know, North Texas looks bad uh, losing to FIU. Florida Atlantic and Ohio, like, those are just traditionally you would think those are teams that the American Conference should win. Um I'm interested to see what UTSA, who they really are. Uh, we saw they lost week one to Houston and then struggled with Texas State. Texas State beat Baylor the week before, so is Texas State actually yeah. pretty good? I, I don't know. Um, I'll be honest, Charlotte was pretty impressive against Maryland um, early on. They they were winning that game while uh, Biff Pogey may be the most interesting man in college football, but uh, he does have them playing hard. And, uh, yeah, Temple is just – I think that's why we have to relax as ECU fans. I know it's frustrating starting 0-2. There's a lot of football left to play. 
And as you can see, this conference is still very winnable. Uh, there's a lot of games that are still up for grab, and, and we could still very well be pay, playing for a conference championship. Now, is that do they have to get things going offensively specifically? Absolutely. But that's, things are still up for grabs, and this team, that this coaching staff still has a few weeks to figure things out. Memphis is the only undefeated team after two weeks in the league. They, uh, they, they smashed Arkansas State 37-3. So Arkansas State lost to Oklahoma 72 to 0 and then uh Memphis 37 to 3. Everybody else is 1 and 1 except for ECU and North Texas who are uh, 0 and 2. Of course if um you know it would help if the Pirates had an FCS game early instead of week 4, but uh that's a, another conversation for another day. Of course they could have just beat Marshall too. Uh let's switch gears, talk about the NFL Bobby and so we we talked about it last week. You're with the Panthers. You're riding with the Panthers. Uh, so we'll start there. Uh, Bryce Young up and down in his debut and a difficult loss. The, the Panthers always struggle in Atlanta, it just seems like. So uh, they lose an, an opener. But what did you think of Bryce Young and the, the Panthers? I thought he looked poor. I thought at moments he looked really good moving the football. They had a few drives there. Their very first drive, they took it all the way down. Think to the 10 or 15 yard line and then uh, went for it on fourth down so they didn't get any points. I think uh, it was a little eye opening for Bryce Young. Uh, Jace, Jesse Bates, the safety for the Falcons, picked off two passes and I think he even said in his post game that he was not expecting him to be able to make those plays. So seeing some live bullets, some some really good NFL players, especially at the safety position, it's, you know, guys that were uh, on the bench in the preseason, seeing them able to make plays in a live-action game, I think opened his eyes a little bit. But everything we've heard, he's a very, very intelligent dude, and uh, I think he'll be able to bounce back and learn from it. Uh, I was very disappointed in the run game for the Panthers, though. Miles Sanders did not do much, which also in turn affected my fantasy and DraftKings lineups. Yeah, I, uh Shout out to the Cowboys defense for single-handedly winning my uh, my fantasy matchup over the weekend. Um, that was something else. They put up 35 points in the shutout victory over the Giants. Um, so Panthers, I mean, they're they're pretty. It's a pretty important week two game, especially starting with two divisional games, having the Saints come to town on Monday Night Football. And, you know, the, the division I don't think is going to be the strongest, but all of a sudden, if you start 0-2 with two divisional losses, you could be behind the eight ball quickly. So this is a big game Monday night for Carolina. 100%. 100%. 0-2 start in the division is not a, not a good look. 0-2 period is not a good look. I can't remember. There, there's some statistics that I'm sure that will be thrown out on social media because it happens every year of the chances of making the playoffs starting 0-2 compared to 1-1. So it is a big week for them. You add on the fact that it's a division opponent, and of course they're going to broadcast Bryce Young's home debut on Monday Night Football. So it'll be a big game. I'll, I'll be honest, though, I was not impressed with the Saints week one. I know they played the Titans and pulled out a victory, but that's not a very good Titans team. So uh, we'll see. I still think the division's up for grabs. I'm excited to see this coaching staff evolve. I'm just really glad that Frank Reich is on the sideline. I feel a lot more confident in him and, and their staff being able to make adjustments. Yeah, they should be a team that gets better throughout the year, uh, at least theoretically with, you know, obviously the young quarterback. So big game, Monday Night Football will be interesting to see how they respond. And, uh, you, you look at another team that's looking at a potential 0-2 start, my Denver Broncos. They lose to the Vegas Raiders at home. W- one of the weirdest games, cause like Russell Wilson and the offense really looked good, but they just didn't put up a lot of points. You know, the sustained drives. 
Russell completed a lot of short passes. They need to hit some big plays. Getting Jerry Judy back down the road should help. But they they will host the Commanders, who are one and zero. Your former Commanders um, struggled to put away Arizona, Bobby, but at least they did start one and zero. They did that. They got the win. It was not pretty, but they got the win. So uh, Sam Howe had, had some good moments and some some pretty bad ones. He had a strip strip sack fumble that uh, Arizona scooped and scored on so that made it probably a little bit closer than it was but still offensively they struggled the defense looked good still doesn't sound like Chase Young will be back next week so I think uh, Denver won't have to worry about him but interested to see how they week one to week two with their enemy Um, goes around Peyton at the helm yeah, I mean, the thing about Denver with the start of the game was interesting because they they started with an onside kick and should have recovered it. The guy touched it early, which, I, you know, I, I thought sent the right message to the team, though. Like, we're here. We're going to do stuff a little bit differently. The problem is the Raiders went on to score a touchdown off the, off the short field. But I, uh, I honestly liked what I saw. Like, they look like a competent football team. Uh Nathaniel Hackett, they did not look like a competent football team. So it's week one of a new regime. I was encouraged despite losing their seventh in a row to the Raiders, which drives me absolutely nuts. But uh, I think they respond this week. I think I think Denver gets a win. Last week I, I wasn't as confident, but I like this. I like them playing at home again. I think they get a win. If not, then I'll be I'll be pretty mad. But we'll see, man. But uh, Bobby, I yeah. ask you this, yeah. Did you watch on the Sunday Sunday ticket through YouTube TV? Is I that did. How you watch them? Yep. What'd you think about the Sunday ticket experience? Yeah, on YouTube now, not not on Directv anymore. It's uh, it's it's different, man. The, it, you know, I think it was well done. Um, expensive, too expensive, but uh, that's a whole other argument we could have. Um. See, I'm a big Directv Red Zone guy. Andrew Siciliano is my guy. And so, like, I miss that show. I miss him because I feel like I, you know, for like 10, 15 years now, he's been my Sunday. Now it's Scott Hansen, who does a good job, but it's just not the same. So that was getting, you know, for the 1 o'clock window, I watched Red Zone, and that was, uh, you know, something to get used to. But uh, as far as the overall package and how it's presented on YouTube, it's not quite as clean, maybe, as I'd hoped, but it's, nav- you know, you can navigate it and the main thing is there was no lag, which uh, there was a problem with at times with DirecTV streaming that. So it's expensive. I wish they would go down on the price or at least offer some sort of student discount so I could take advantage of my interns' uh, accounts once again. But uh, it is what it is, man. I got to watch my Broncos, although they really need to win some games for as much money as I'm paying. So yeah. we'll see. Did Jaquan McMillan play? He didn't. He was actually inactive because. They don't use him a lot on special teams. He's kind of the third corner. It's really weird. He's their third corner, but they don't use him on special teams. So, basically, they almost need one of their starting corners to get hurt, and then he'll play. Because I, I maybe he doesn't profile well as a special teams guy because he's not super long and fast, but he can cover. And, uh, you know, they don't really use him at nickel. They use him outside. So, it's, it's kind of an interesting setup. But the the number two corner across from Patrick Sertan really struggled, so there's already people calling for McMillan to play, and we'll see we'll see if it happens this week. Uh, I would love to see it because I think he's better than the guy they're using now. But 
It is what it is. Well, uh, Bobby, this has been fun, man. Appreciate your time from the beach, from your vacation. Go, uh, go tend to your dog, and hopefully the authorities did not uh, did not arrest your family while you were doing the show. Yeah, hopefully everyone's in one piece and somebody's not floating off into the Atlantic right now. Yeah, we'll get to it, man. We'll see you uh, next week. Maybe your in-studio debut next week? I think so. Uh, that's what we're looking forward to, yep. Awesome. All right, Bobby Harward, we'll talk to him next Wednesday, every Wednesday. He's brought to you by Basils. All right, we got to get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. Uh, we'll have some final thoughts from myself and Philip Pilkington, who's producing today's program. This is Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in to the show. Thanks again to Bobby Howard for taking some time to join us from the uh, the beach during his vacation. Got a couple minutes left. Got a couple more comments on Facebook we didn't get to. Just talking about the offense. Uh, Jay mentioning Ventavius Cooper, who we talked about with Bobby, says he made a living off short swing passes and making a man miss. Would like to see us run that type of play more often, especially with the inexperienced QBs. Chase says O-line needs to block and give the quarterback time. Simple as that. And Jay adds that the UTSA quarterback Frank Harris in the seventh year of college football got banged up in the UTSA win over Texas State. So we'll keep an eye on that. Pirates take on UTSA in November later this year. All right, Philip Pilkington, he's producing today's show. He's behind the glass. And, Philip, we were we were talking in between breaks about our picks, which we do every Friday. And uh, I think I'm now a combined 2-9 and nine against the spread in college, and we're both off to a 2-3 and three start in NFL. And I owe a, uh apology to the 49ers. I believe you do as well. Yep. My lock of the week was Steelers win by 10 or more, and I look like a complete idiot. So um, I'm never uh, never riding with the Steelers again. <laughs> yeah, my friend uh, – so I had a friend, Pat. He texted me when I made the pick. Who's He's a Niners fan. His son actually is a Steelers fan. So he was giving me crap about picking the Steelers, and then he called me right after the game and said, I want a public apology on the radio. So, Pat, here's your public apology. I doubted your Niners. I doubted Brock Purdy, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I just, you know, Niners going to the East Coast, Steelers not getting much hype. Yeah, 10 a.m. game. Steelers always start out hot, too. It seems like I know. The 49ers usually lose week one. They could be playing, you know, Rose High School, and it seems like they lose week one. They're never a good week one team, it seems like. They lost to Denver early in last year's season when Denver was awful. Yeah. So it just all added up to a Steelers win. I was confident, and sometimes you're, you're dead wrong. And I'm going to admit, I was dead wrong. I could not have been more off. The Niners are like a potential Super Bowl contender. Of course, there's 17 more weeks to go. But uh, I got to figure out what I'm doing. We're, you know, we talked about how to fix the ECU offense. I got to fix my picks. Two and nine against the spread in college. I was about to say, if you're going to Vegas for the weekend, just uh, listen to Igo's picks. Do the and, opposite. Uh, bet on the other team, and you should end up in the black. We're going to turn it around, though. It's a long season. We're having staff meetings every day. I'm going to figure it out. I can promise you that. We'll get it figured out, guys. All right, tomorrow we've got Mark Yellock, former ECU defensive lineman, scheduled to come on, and former ECU D-line coach. He'll join us to talk about App State. We'll be with you 12 noon on uh, Thursday.
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game.